Hi folks and welcome to another episode of the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host Richard McKenzie out of the greater Cincinnati area, northern Kentucky and greater Dayton areas. Today's episode is titled Dead End or Cul-de-Sac? Which is it? Well, so what are we getting at here? Well, we have a house from 1924 in the middle of the roaring 20s course before the 1929 stock market crash and Black Friday and all that stuff happened and this house is a three-bedroom two-bath on a street that has a endpoint aka a cul-de-sac so I'll start out I remember the uh, client who was a repeat client Uh, his first house did not work out there were just way too many things wrong with it that The realtor didn't notice and he didn't notice when they were going through the house. And, well, that's what the inspection's for. Not to kill the deal, but to give an honest assessment of all the, um, or an independent assessment of the house prior to purchase. So, uh, that one had an incredible amount of structural issues. um, I think some termite damage, a lot of termite damage. Just some things that were not really noticeable when somebody's touring a house looking for those uh, things that stand out to you. The the appliances, the the look of the house, where you're going to put your furniture. You're not focused on on the structure as much as you are the, the aesthetics of the house. So, the house that we inspected um, just a few days ago, this house was on a dead-end street but I corrected the client and said no you know the house is if it's a let's say it's a hundred ninety five thousand dollar house in a popular neighborhood um, and you call it a cul-de-sac that sounds much more attractive than oh it's a hundred seventy five thousand dollar house on a dead-end street right which sounds better words do matter so At any rate, he knows cul-de-sac now, so he's going to tell all his friends. And I'm sure when uh, he has a housewarming party, he's going to for sure tell them, hey, it's on a cul-de-sac off of this road, that road, and uh, you can't miss it because, yeah, it's on a cul-de-sac. That sounds so much better. So what are some of the things with a smaller, um, probably a first-time homebuyer house, uh, three-bedroom, two-bath, um, what are some of the things that we're looking for in, a, in this particular house? Well, first of all, let's talk about the architecture of the house. The architecture house is sort of a, a um, Tudor style with concrete stucco, which is the, the uh, hard uh, stucco that's meant to be permanent. It is not the ephus synthetic artificial stucco, nor is it faux wood that is painted over with a light coat of stucco to make it look like it's it's full stucco this is actually rock hard uh, permanent stucco okay the old school stucco and then there was also on the exterior aluminum uh, lap siding okay so um in a, in a 1924, I got to say, that was very early on for aluminum siding. Really early adopter. Uh, in fact, may have been put on after maybe the wood was taken off and it was replaced with aluminum. Maybe the, the wood was not cedar. 
Maybe somebody chose the wrong wood to put on the house and it did eventually rot because cedar and redwood are all part of the same family of cedars and they have the natural fungicide in their sap so that uh, really prevents um, or really uh, yeah, prevents and, and prolongs the life of the wood and prevents rot. Okay, so that's that's what's good about cedar and redwood. The older houses tend to be built with redwood, newer ones cedar, because they just didn't cut down anymore. Redwoods, they were protected out in California and the Northwest. All right, so this house was about 1,300 square feet. And if you looked at the front elevation of it, which is to say the, the front look, um, it really has a, a Tudor style and the roof pitch is like, wow, how do you do a roof pitch like that? That is so different. And, uh, and, and, and the architectural drawings must have been really cool with that. So you come in the front, you've got a couple of front rooms, and then in the back is the kitchen, and you do have a full bathroom um, on the first floor and a half bathroom on the second floor, which is to say more like a Cape Cod style. And the, the garage um, is a attached garage, but you have to go outside to get into the garage. There's no pass-through door. Perhaps one can be added, not sure, but um, that was not added at the time of the inspection. Now, on, on houses like this, still, the number one item is to try to keep water away from the house. I've said that probably on every episode, and that does not change, and that's always going to be uh, one of the most important things with the house is to spend time outside thinking about how can you prevent water from getting in the basement or improve the conditions. There was a couple of spots on the property disclosure. Always read your property disclosure statements, by the way. Um, they tend to be more honest than not, although some people don't, you know, don't, don't be honest on them. And, and we understand that there's all types of people, but on this house, <clears throat> the, there was a couple places in the basement that during heavy soaking range, you get a little bit of intrusion. Well, the front two gutter downspouts were shooting water away from the house about three feet. So those definitely could be extended further. And there was some pine straw around the house, up against the house. And stepping into it, you could tell that it was kind of flat and even a little bit negative. So pulling the pine straw and mulch back and adding more topsoil, packing it in, and really creating a positive grade, positive meaning sloping away from the house, can help increase the flow of water away from your house. So that's going to be an improvement right there. How much? I don't know. Uh, but a couple of other things. There were a couple of little hairline cracks on the front steps, which create a room under the garage, un under the, the basement. <clears throat> and that can always be improved too to, to seal those little hairline cracks so water doesn't get in and doesn't find a way to seep into the basement in that front storage room that typically is under the front porch on fronts of houses in basements. So those things are already immediate improvements. And a couple things with this house. Um, the asphalt driveway really was totally deteriorated. There's really no improving it. There's so many cracks in it and depressions that has just been worn, worn, worn over the years. I would say this driveway is probably 50, 60 years old, the asphalt, and it really is at a point of replacing it. 
When do you do that? When the time is right for you. When you've saved up the money, you've gotten a couple quotes, and you feel like it's time to replace it, and you just can't take it anymore. That probably is the answer to that question. Okay, going around the back of the house, and we look at the uh, patio, and the patio has... um, was a concrete slab and it was poured in one contiguous piece and it really should have been poured with four squares meaning a plus sign uh, seams um, expansion joints in between the four pieces and that would have um, it would have settled and cracked in those places correctly and it wouldn't have had the the large cracks that were on this how did these crack well go figure almost in in, in the plus sign Um, but not perfect lines, of course, and they had been patched several times by a, eh, I won't say a qualified contractor, but somebody patched them, and they're noticeable, and they're large cracks, and they're going to continue to have water in them, and they're going to continue to crack and expand until a point in time where you decide to get the patio replaced. Not a high-priority item, but an item nonetheless. This house was really cool because... There was a, a patio overlook roof, overhang roof, and it was built with two by sixes uh, on the rafters, so it's really strong and six by six posts. So this, this sucker's not going anywhere. What was cool about this is they rigged up some electric out there with a screen, and the person obviously had a projection uh, uh, LCD monitor or projector out there and was projecting movies onto that screen. Really cool, I I have to say. Um, A little bit of seating needs to be added out there and you could set this whole thing up again and it'd be really cool to be able to show movies and stuff outside during the uh, warmer weather. Um, And there were two skylights on this roof overhang. No leaks, really in good shape. Uh, What it did create though, a little quandary for for the buyer in that you have for the main house roof you have a dimensional shingle roof that was a 25 or so year shingle roof and it was about seven to nine years old and then the other roof over the patio was a traditional three tab fiberglass roof and that roof i pegged at about 11 to 13 years old so you have two ages of roofs one of them's going to exhaust before the other so what do you do well Maybe if you're lucky because the backside of the house really prevents uh, a, a strong wind and the only time that wind is going to get underneath these shingles is if it comes directly from the rear of the house towards the front and that could cause issues with the roof. But it was a lower pitched roof, maybe a 3 and 12 pitch. Um, the lowest pitch you want before you start going into rubber membrane roofs. But... Um, I suppose you could do 2 and two and 12, but that's really pushing it because you start getting ice damming and whatnot because the water just doesn't shed real well, and it can freeze rather quickly in, in cold weather. But back to the roof and the two different ages, I told the buyer, look, you know, you can probably replace this before the other, especially the flashing around the skylights, but if you're lucky, maybe it lasts as long as the other roof. You know, it's on the back side of the house. It's not going to be seen by a whole lot of people. <clears throat> and it might be, preve- um, the wind is probably cutting it down. And you've got a few pine trees with branches, not particularly causing issues, but maybe causing some shade in the backyard. 
So you have a pretty good shot of it, of it lasting pretty good. Plus, I think it's a good roof installation and, and it appears to be uh, no adhesion lost yet. So, um, you know, you can give it a try. See if it'll last as long as the, the dimensional shingle roof. So at any rate, that was a good discussion. Uh, the, the, the stucco itself really was in very good shape. Um, this is something you keep really well sealed around your windows. You get expansion and contraction with, with the, the stucco. Um, it, it does have a little bit of expansion and contraction to it. It's not quite as hard as concrete, but it's pretty darn close. And so that really constituted the outside. And I will mention the roof was in really good shape. I, I, it had proper flashing, good installation, and both roofs were, were, were just sound, just a little bit of granules in the, in the gutters because of typical wear for the age that, that both roofs were. And that's fine. You expect stuff like that. So let's go inside. What is the inside like? The inside had hardwood floors. The bathroom, full bathroom was on the first floor and there was no bedroom on the first floor, but the, the um, full bathroom was there and then which is a little different and then the half bathroom is upstairs and the the buyer really was interested in installing a half a, a shower in the upstairs and he's gotten a couple of uh, opinions from contractors and there's two different configurations that could be done cutting into one closet versus extending a hallway and putting a wall up next to the stairs coming upstairs both uh, you know you could pretty much accomplish what you need um, if you're willing to pay the cost. Uh, it, it's always gonna cost something. Some solutions are gonna be more than others when you are altering a house based on changing the original configuration and architectural drawings and permits and, and, and so forth and so on. So it's a process and it's always good to get at least a couple of opinions before you start cutting into a wall. Okay, so inside the house, what do we find with the electric? We find probably the most typical thing that we find, which is to say, we look at the outlets and they're three prong outlets. And I've also had this on other episodes. Um, and we test them with our outlet tester and they are testing like they are ungrounded. Only the center light comes on, meaning that there is an open ground and there is no grounding to these outlets. And that was pretty much true for all of the first floor second floor and the basement was finished later and those outlets were grounded as were the uh, garage outlets so what do you deal how do you deal with that well the most expensive way to ground outlets properly is to run a ground wire but you got to cut into the walls and you create an incredible project of extraordinary expense the second way which is to say you consult with a licensed electrician and they will be able to see if you can change out the strategic home run receptacles, which is to say the first outlet fed off of the breaker and you install GFCI receptacles at those outlets. How many is that? Depends on the square footage and how many 15 amp, 20 amp breakers you have for the lights and outlets. And the other method is to say you, ha you change out the breakers in the panel, if you can, with GFCI breakers. Now, you have to have a panel, obviously, well, it's maybe not so obvious, but the panel needs to be modern enough that it can accept 
GFCI breakers. So if you have one of those Wadsworth older 1950s, 60s, 70s panels, you're probably going to have to replace the panel, which is more expensive, obviously, than just simply replacing some of the breakers with the GFCI um, breakers. Now, that all requires further valuation by who? By a licensed electrician. When? Prior to closing. Get your estimates and so forth before closing. Don't wait till after closing. But, but Richard, they have told us there's no repairs and they're not, you know, we had to bid against 20 other people to get this house. So we've waived our inspections, blah, blah, blah. Still get the inspection for information purposes only. You need a honey-do list. Now, sometimes the sellers in the market, current market that we're in now, they can reject the inspection, which is just so absurd to me. But at any rate, <clears throat> um, you really, if, if at all possible, do not waive your inspection. You need your inspection. You need to be able to um, get those things that you know you're going to have to take care of, even if nobody's fixing anything at the house that you're buying. Okay, so that's very important. Don't waive the inspection. What are some of the other things that we find in the insides of a house built in 1924? Well, fortunately, all the windows were replaced with vinyl replacement, double-hung windows. We did find one cracked pane in one of the kitchen windows. We also found one, two, three, three windows that had thermal seal failures which is to say the frostiness in between the two panes of glass because moisture has gotten in there um, after the glass seal in between the two panes has failed and it sucks in some water vapor and that freezes and it looks frosty and it looks and that's mineral deposits are basically what you're seeing inside there uh, that show up to the naked eye especially when the sun is shining on them so that was something we had to note. Um, some of these older houses have the original Newtone, N-U-T-O-N-E, Newtone got into uh, ra- uh, radios, they got into speaker systems, um, but they did exhaust fans, and these exhaust fans work great. Um, I really love it when I see the old school Newtone fan still working in the kitchen with a light switch. Now, you go into the multifamilies, you know, four family unit, everybody's all taped them over, covered them over, they're not using them. People are cooking stuff on the stove and the grease is not going anywhere except onto the paint and it's just kind of nasty. But when you have the exhaust fan here, it works out great. Um, one of the, the stove did have one of the burners that did not work, it was a gas stove. Um, and if you do have a gas stove, you really do need a source of exhaust for that gas stove. It's, it's really best to have that. Okay. Um, the kitchen sink did have GFCIs. That was nice to see. And the bathroom also had GFCIs, and those were grounded, and those were functioning properly. And uh, as I mentioned, we had a few thermal seal failures. But overall, uh, after noting the electric for the outside, or excuse me, the, the electric being ungrounded for the first and second floors, the bedrooms and everything else were really pretty much acceptable and then we uh, was, was time to evaluate the attic. What do we see in an attic for a house that's from 1924? You see a really strong roof, I will tell you that, the structure. Two by sixes or two by eights, 
maybe at one time this house had a tile roof, possibly. Um, that would that would require something like two by sixes, two by eights. And these were the original real measurement two by sixes, two by eights. True measurements, not shaved down to the lumber yard. Um, and uh, everything was fine in the attic, except it only had six inches of rock mineral wool and insulation, which really in this day and time you don't want to lose heat into your attic you don't want to heat the attic and waste your electric and gas and the you know good and well that our power bills are not going down they always appear to be going up so how can you fight that what you do is you make sure you install at least another six eight inches of insulation in the attic to give you 12 to 14 for our greater cincinnati climate area and uh, if you're up in Cleveland or the Buffalo, uh, Erie, um, Snowbelt area, you're probably talking 16 inches of insulation would be necessary to, to keep your attic cold, but your house warm. Okay, so that's what you want. You want a good breeze in your attic, which this house had, and you want to keep your attic cold. So if it's about 30 degrees outside, your attic should be eh, maybe 33 degrees there about. Just a few degrees warmer, but not much. Because you do not want condensation to form in your attic, which leads to rusty nails, nails working their way out, drips, stains on ceilings, and, and possibly mold in your attic. So you want really what good ventilation and good insulation. All right. So, again, I'm hopefully painting a picture that this house inspected, I think, really well. It's a really well-built house. There was one small spot in the center near the bathroom that the floor felt a little bit unlevel. So we examined that when we got down into the basement. What did we see when we were in the basement? We saw that there has been some structural repair in the basement, not much. There was another post added behind one other lally column, a six-inch steel cylinder post that was properly attached. But for whatever reason, they decided to put another one behind it, and it was also properly attached. And the beam was comprised of four joists of two-by-twelves. There was no spreading of these. There was no separation. However, I did suggest that they have a qualified contractor just for good practice to carriage bolt or lag bolt these joists together. And that will help create a tighter, stronger beam um, for you. And so adding that second post behind there caused one of the floors to be a tiny bit and it's really only in one spot so I considered it to be more of a imperfection cosmetic item than a structural concern. In between the joists I looked in there I did not see any termite activity or previous or current termite activity. That is somewhere that they hide. If you have a beam comprised of several joists put together sometimes in between there especially at the ends you can find some of the uh, mud tunnel activity uh, from termites. And that is something that you want to note 
and pay particular attention to. It's a fine detail that's hard to see. Some other things about the basement. It was a masonry block wall, which is to say that wall is easier to form horizontal cracks than is a poured steel rebar enforced concrete poured wall. Now, I tested with the moisture meter. I'm actually looking at it now. I took like 12 pictures of the moisture meter being testing the, the basement wall. And the spots that we found the elevated moisture, sure enough, were the spots that you need to add topsoil and extend the downspouts at the front, at the left side, and a couple at the rear. And those were the spots where you had either level or negative grade so adding some more topsoil is, is a premium, really good thing to do to help keep your basement dry. What I did like about this basement, it was wide open. Even the front storage room door was open. That should be kept open. The more doors you keep open in your basement, the better it's going to breathe and prevent mold and stagnant air being formed in places. And the drier and the more you keep water away from your house outside, the drier your basement walls are going to be and the fresher stuff is going to smell. That is for certain. Um, the other thing, I did forget to point out one thing outside. So this, this inspection took place in very late October which is well after the point in time that we could run air conditioners because it was only 45, 48 degrees outside. That being said, the air conditioner turned out to be 20 years old. What is the average lifespan of an air conditioner? That's right. You remember from the other episodes, that would be 15 to 20 years, and this one's 20 years old. And since we couldn't run it, what does that tell you? That tells you we really can't predict the remaining life, if any, in this air conditioner and because we did find rust in the high efficiency furnace uh, in the burn chamber there and that after taking off the cover that also tells us um, that the rust could be from a secondary heat exchanger leak or a condensation leak and we also had a dripping condensation line that was really attached attached to it was kind of an improper rubber hose kind of thing and because that hose was attached using um, two dissimilar metals it caused a galvanic reaction causing uh, corrosion and that was dripping and that was dripping into a bucket that the homeowner had below that connection to catch the water obviously that needs to be fixed by who by a qualified HVAC contractor when prior to closing. So you want further valuation when? Prior to closing. By who? Qualified HVAC contractor of the furnace and air conditioner with some prediction by that person of how much life is remaining left in this air conditioner with repairs also to the furnace. And the furnace was a matching pair and it also was 20 years old and therefore the average lifespan of a gas-fired furnace is about 20-25 years and therefore that obviously needed to be fixed as well. Okay, <clears throat> so then that left us a couple things on the inspection to look at. One of which was that room under the, under the porch. And that had a door on it, and I suggested either keep the door open or replace it with a louvered door. What's a louvered door? One that looks like a shutter that has slats and allows air to pass through, 
because you want your basement to be wide open, airy, nice and breathing, and uh, you want to try to prevent stagnant air, moisture, condensation, things that lead to mold. So in that room, it wasn't too bad. This room did was on the property disclosure statement that it did seep a little bit in heavy soaking rains. Well, guess what? This was the room that both of the gutter downspouts that needed to be extended were very close to. So extending the downspouts, pulling back the pine straw and adding topsoil also outside this foundation wall hopefully can help um, reduce, I don't know if it'll eliminate, but it can reduce the amount of moisture seepage into this room. And then keeping the room dry, uh, just by keeping the door open. And sometimes in basements, I don't normally say this a whole lot, but I have a dehumidifier in my basement. Do I run it all the time? No. It's a 1500 watt appliance that costs about $300. And to run it 24 seven, based on our current calculations of electric usage, that's about $50 per month added to your power bill, which is never going down. So, do you need to run it 24-7? I don't think so. Not unless you're, you have a swamp for a basement. But if you start to smell mustiness and whatnot, maybe running it once or twice a week for uh, 24 hours, you know, several days apart, can take the edge off of the mustiness in a basement and keep it fairly dry smelling and also uh, fresh smelling. So just a, just a little tip, but you wanna keep in mind that cost. Okay, this house also, because of the age, any house that's um, of an older nature, what is older? Well, if you have really big trees in the front yard, really big, maybe 60 years is old to you, maybe 50. But when you start going 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 150 years, you really probably should pay the extra 250, 275 to have a licensed plumber. Notice I'm saying licensed plumber, not inspector. There are some companies out there that do the sewer scopes and they add that on. I, I don't in particular want somebody who's not a licensed plumber to do my sewer scope because I really trust their ability and different conclusions that they're going to come to based on their experience and their, their, their training. They didn't just watch a few uh, videos for training, they actually did a lot of training to become that licensed plumber. Okay, so if they do the sewer scope, um, the older the house, like this house again was 97 years old, definitely recommend to have a sewer scope prior to closing and spend that extra money to make sure your drains are uh, not collapsed and so forth. So just a recommendation there. Um, the other thing I would suggest is to uh, make sure that you get, again, all property disclosure statements from the homeowner if possible, and then follow through on the inspection and do the things that are in there. At the inspection, your inspector should definitely help you prioritize the most important to the least important and which things, depending on the market that you are in, um, what things are those most important that you typically ask for. We can't tell you what to ask for in, in, in total, but we can certainly help you prioritize things um, and help you with your realtor 
that's who you should make the decision with what to ask for because they're going to know the market and that house and that neighborhood and what you can ask for and what typically you don't in that market. So this was a real fun inspection, great customer to be with, a lot of good time with the person and uh, he learned a lot and we had fun doing the inspection and that's what it's all about. You really want to have good time helping your client navigate through the biggest purchase of their life uh, to that point and help them do that with a fully informed um, uh, plate of information and and get through that. So uh, until our next episode, this has been the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host, Richard McKenzie, out of the greater Cincinnati area. And thank you for listening. Thank you.